Connor Esiason, and you're listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast presented by the Boomer Esiason Foundation and GunnerEsiason.com. This podcast series has been made possible by Vertex, Novartis, Digital Credit Union, and Atlantic Health. The views expressed on Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast are that of Gunnar Esiason, Tiffany Rich, and guests, and not necessarily those of the Boomer Esiason Foundation. Nothing in this podcast series should be considered medical advice. Such advice can only be given by a physician who's experienced with cystic fibrosis. The Boomer Esiason Foundation, Gunnar Esiason, Tiffany Rich, and guests cannot be held responsible for any damage which may result from using the information on this podcast without the permission of your medical doctor. You're listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast. All right, hey, it's Gunnar and We are back for a, another episode this April, which is Organ Donation Awareness Month, of course. Uh, and I am joined by my two lovely uh, organ donation recipients, uh, Tiffany Rich yeah. and Marge Carfour. Everyone met Hello. Marge uh, last week on the podcast with us again. How are you two? I'm doing great. Doing good. Yeah, good, no complaints. Good, good. My, uh, I think my voice is actually starting to come back, so uh, I apologize for everyone That's who listened good. to last week when it <laughs> sounded like I had laryngitis, but I think we're coming back. We're moving in the right direction. Um, so today's, po- today's podcast will actually feature a sprint interview. Uh, Tiffany did an interview with uh, Rick Lofgren, the CEO of CODA, which is the Children's Organ Transplant Association. They help with uh, yeah. transplant costs and things of that nature, and they help crowdfund. Um, so Tiffany, we'll get into that uh, a little bit later with Rick. <clears throat> but for now, we're going to talk to our two resident uh, transplant mm-hmm. recipients, Marge and Tiffany, yeah. about their process and their lead up to um, receiving their life-saving double lung transplants uh, and how they were able to manage it, uh, both financially, on the road, and um, whether or not their insurance you know, uh, was 100% supportive. So, um, Tiffany, mm-hmm. why, don't, why don't we start with you, since you know, you're doing the, okay. the interview a little bit later. Um, yeah. You know, what... what Obviously, you're involved with CODA. You know, what What was that like? Why did you do it? Um, and what did you need prior to the transplant? So, as we know, cystic fibrosis, we have a lot of medications. And luckily, I've been very fortunate to have good insurance. I do still have co-pays. But um, when you go into transplant, there's a lot more um, medications. Like, we kind of switch we switch from the nebulized treatments to pills, to um, liquid medications, to insulin, to a whole bunch of other medications. That and a massive surgery, um, not to mention. Not, yeah, and the surgery, of course. Um, so with certain insurances, they don't cover everything, of course. Um, so when I was at Stanford for my evaluation and um, basically talking about my going into being listed, they said, you know, it's very um, important to fundraise. Mm -hmm. And when you fundraise, um, you are just, it's kind of a good buffer to have because you have to uh, relocate. Um, Even though I live in the Bay Area, I had to be within 20 miles of um, Stanford. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that now. So mm-hmm. they introduced me to CODA. Um, I had never heard of CODA in my life. Um, I didn't know there was such a thing. And I talked to the CODA people, my parents and family, and um, we were very, um, we loved them. They were very uh, helpful. And knowing that 
maybe since I'm older and I'm not going to be able to be on this insurance that I am now uh, in a little bit, I needed to make sure that I had money to in uh, to keep having insurance because that's you know that's important. So so so, so, so if I'm if I'm following Coda, essentially yeah. supplements exactly you know your kind of coverage and helps uh, pick up the gaps, especially stuff like that. And it's also a exactly. a crowdfunding mechanism too. So it's not like GoFundMe, yeah. which GoFundMe the, the unfortunate yes. part about GoFundMe is that it can actually be counted against your tax your taxable income. Exactly. Whereas Coda goes directly to your uh, your healthcare or your um, uh-huh. in, this, in this case your organ transplant and is not taxable income. Exactly. And you can use it for uh, anything that's transplant related expense. So if you have to be relocated like I was and so was Marge, they would help pay with pay for the um, apartment, your transportation, your food, anything that was really transplant related. Oh, wow. And they and they and it keeps going. It's for a lifetime. So with me. I keep doing a fundraiser every year, and that and that funds your and that funds your coda, uh, your 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 quote unquote coda account. It almost sounds like a lot like a uh, a flexible spending account. You know, the flexible spending accounts obviously, you know, uh, it's pre tax income that you can use towards your your healthcare spending. Like I I have I have a FSA account that I use, um, and Mm -hmm. it's it's really very helpful. It also I think for me it allows me to see exactly what I'm spending on my healthcare. you know, obviously a little bit of different situation. I'm pre-transplant, you know, yeah. um, so right. I'm really just kind of paying for my CF, you know, med co-pays or doctor's appointments mm-hmm. or in this case, I actually had yeah. a, a foot injury. I've been going to physical therapy. I use my FSA right. account to pay for physical therapy. That's, and yeah, that's um, good. it's, it, I, in my opinion, it really just is, I'm getting my best bang for my buck because it's pre-tax income and it's also the kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, that like, you know, I have uh, a very separate balance sheet. Now on your end, Marge, mm-hmm. you, you were obviously displaced. You moved halfway across yeah, the country. Um, you know, what, what was, uh, what was that like for you? Yeah. So, you know, we, we didn't end up using Coda. We knew, we knew that it was available. Um, but you know, my parents had really great insurance. My dad was a firefighter um, and our insurance really covered most of what we needed when it came to the transplant itself. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the relocation, though, was I definitely saw how much stress it added to my my dad um, in particular because we were a single-income family. Um, so my dad was responsible for all of those relocation costs and, you know, the, the stress of having basically another household in a different state um, that he had to be responsible for. So... You know, ultimately, we decided, like, okay, if we make some cutbacks in other areas of our life, ultimately, we could afford um, to do this. So we didn't want to take money from other people who, you know, could potentially need it more than us from Coda. So that's why we didn't end up doing it. But, yeah, I mean, all of the relocation costs, it adds just a lot of stress and pressure. And I think I ended up staying on my parents' insurance until I was 26 years old. And then Mm -hmm. that's when, you know, by that time, I had had my own career and I was um, eligible to go on my employer's insurance. Um, so I've yeah. always been very lucky to have, you know, a lot of insurance coverage. Um, yeah. You know, I still have my co-pays, which can get um, really heavy at times. And especially if I have a hospital stay or an ER visit, um, you just kind of see those shoot up. And our, our deductibles are high now that obviously we have a family, too. So add that in there. Um, yeah, but all of this adds up. And, and the medication, the medication, and it can be, you know, that this organization is out there to help families is, is super important. So I, I, I now 
to, I, we can talk about the copays here for a second. Now, do you do either yeah. of you use copay assistance? Like, I think that copay assistance programs, like you know, with the drug ma- uh, manufacturers and stuff like that, are mm-hmm. a complete lifesaver. Like, I use them. I think for, yeah. I, I mean, they, they're generally not available for generics, or they kind of are, but um, yeah, they're not quite as necessary. Like, I think I use them for at least half of my CF medications copay assistance. Okay, I've used it for my Zenpep. Yeah, I use yeah, lip to thrive for Zen Pep is the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, I also I've actually never used it. I actually should probably yeah. look into it. Yes, that. <laughs> yes. Okay, so copay. Yeah. So for those of us who are not listening, copay assistance um, is is the kind of thing that's uh, it's it's not available everywhere. I know some states actually mm-hmm. like don't even allow it, um, which I have a hard time really understanding why that is. But um, yeah. copay assistance for for those of you who may not know what it is is you actually can contact the in a lot of cases the drug manufacturer and they um, will actually pay your copay. So it's essentially mm-hmm. a, like a coupon, and uh, there's usually a cap on the, the amount that can go towards your copay. But in some cases, the copay assistance can actually go towards your deductible as well. Uh, so mm-hmm. you can so for example, let's say I use mine for Palmazine. Um I still have yeah. a little bit of a copay after. Um, after after my copay assistance, but uh, it does take away most of it, and it actually kind of builds up. I also use one for Zenpep. I have one for mm-hmm. another drug that I can't. Which it's one of those things like I don't use all the time. Um, you know what? I uh, my my feeding tube uh, enzymes, Viocase. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so that yeah, there's one there for Viocase as well. So actually, enzymes, believe it or not, are like kind of a, are actually like one of the more expensive drugs that you know have they, quote unquote list price um, that are um, one of the on the more expensive end of the spectrum so that the copay assistance there is pretty uh, pr- pretty valuable um, so yes definitely more just look into the copay assistance it's one of those things yes, where like I didn't I even know, I didn't even know it existed until like someone yeah. told me about it and you're like oh my god it's like a, like a little known secret um, yeah. within the within the health the healthcare structure. Uh, so that's another way that people can save money. Now, there are exclusions though. If you're a kind of person who is on either state backed insurance or federal insurance, you can't mm-hmm. use um, copay assistance because it's generally mm-hmm. against uh, against the law to do so. Um, yeah. So especially, you know, you hear about people who are, you know, facing like very high copays or they're kind of, yeah. they're unable to afford medications. A lot of time, those are people on using Medicare Part D drugs who don't have a mm-hmm. supplemental uh, Medicare package that can, they, and that's taking care of those copays. So that's, there, there is a portion of the CF population who does that, that does happen to. And uh, that's because mm-hmm. there is a federal law that actually blocks copay assistance for those folks, which really doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's kind of like the, yeah. the, the dumbest thing there is. Right. Um, so now, uh, back to the topic here, you know, I, yeah. I, I wonder, did, did either of your transplant centers, you know, make it clear to you mm-hmm. that you had to have some sort of like stability, uh, with, you know, mm-hmm. with your finances and insurance in order to like proceed to the next step. And what was that like? Yeah. Yep. That was part of the whole evaluation process. Yep. I mean, we, when we sat down, it's not just health evaluation, it's support system evaluation, and then financial evaluation. And, you know, my parents went through the ringer with that, because at that point, I was still a college student. So I didn't have much to bring to the table financially. (laughs) (laughs) I was still eating ramen and tuna. But um, so, you know, yeah, they had to go through the ringer to prove that, you know, we were financially stable, they could afford it, they could afford the relocation and the, you know, the aftermath and the and the care that comes with transplant afterwards. So it was pretty yeah. an extensive look into our background. For sure. Yeah, they do a big um, look at you, uh, especially your mental state as well, to make sure that you are 
capable and ready for transplant. Plus, um, in order to get on the list, your insurance has to be okay with it. So they have to go through all that process as well to even list you. And um, I know that I was, well, they told me that we should fundraise, like I said. Um, I know some centers, like, make sure you fundraise a certain amount before you even are listed. I've seen that before. And I think that's a good idea to um, fundraise just because you never know where your health's going to go, what's going to happen in the long run, because we only, we are living day by day, you know what I mean? We don't know what the future is going to hold. So um, with insurance wise, you just never know. So I think um, fundraising and um, just having a goal of any amount is probably a good idea, just to even do a little bit. Certainly. And, you know, I think it's, it's interesting you guys both say how the insurance needs to be okay with it before you, like, kind of take the next step. I'm reading uh, mm-hmm. Mallory Smith's book, Salt My Soul, and there's a big part of yes. that in the book where she talks about how, um, you know, she had to be transplanted at a very specific center due to yep. her uh, spatial infection. And um, in doing so, there, she kind of, like, caught, her, caught herself up in a little bit of a, an insurance nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she kind of talks about how they had to uh, kind of get around it and they were able to do it because of a, a connection they had, like, through the family. Uh, or something like that. I forget the exact particular yep. of it. But, um, no, that's right. You're right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's one of the unspoken things about uh, uh, transplant that you don't really ever hear about is like that yeah. step of it. It's kind of like a crucial thing, uh, especially mm-hmm. if you're going to be moving to a, a different center than, than your own. You know, that's yeah. kind of the... Um, the hurdle that a lot of folks go through. I will give a quick plug to uh, our uh, program at the Boomer Science and Foundation. We do have a transplant assistance program uh, that helps people cover uh, costs that are unrelated to uh, things that the insurance may cover. So, uh, you yeah. know, uh, moving cross country, you know, uh, gas, uh, meals, things of that nature. Uh, so if you are listed or if you are about to be listed, uh, you can certainly look it at it at, at uh, org. That's E-S-I-A-S-O-N.org. And we don't only cover, uh, or rather we do cover lung transplants as well as other organ uh, transplants as well. I know we just spoke to someone who was uh, going through a liver transplant and we were able to yeah. uh, put them through the program too. So um, that's, that, awesome. that, that's another that's op- so great. That's another option out there for folks. Um, and it's it's something that you know not everyone knows that we have, but we, we do. And we, uh, mm-hmm. we, we take our transplant stuff very seriously, due in large part to uh, the success that Jerry Cahill is having with it. So um, sure. Tiffany, I'll let you throw it to the interview here uh, because I know you're pre- super excited to feature Coda on the, uh, on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, so um, me and Rick had a nice conversation that you're going to hear, and we just talk about the ins and outs of CODA and what they do and how they've helped me and other people with organ transplants. So here we go. And I am here with Rick Lofgren from CODA, who is the CEO and president, and CODA is Children's Organ Transplant Association. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Tiffany. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to have you here and talk about CODA. So why don't you tell the folks about yourself and what CODA is? Sure. Well, I'm, I've been with the organization for a little more than 20 years, and transplant has touched my family's life. I had a cousin who had a bone marrow transplant years ago. And so when I was asked to join the organization, I felt like this was a great opportunity to help 
other families just like my own. And in the past 20 years, we've worked with close to 3,000 families across the country, and including yours, yeah. to help raise money to meet transplant-related expenses. And it's just an exciting organization to be a part of knowing that we're making an impact on people's lives every day. Yeah, definitely has helped me tremendously. I'm really blessed to have you guys in my life. Um, so what? how do you become a CODA patient? Like, what is the process? Well, there are a number of ways that you can do that. Um, probably the easiest way is to call our 800 number. Mm -hmm. uh, that number is 800-366-2682. And tell whoever answers the phone that you're calling to get information, and they'll get you to the right staff member to help. And for those people that would prefer to do it online, uh, if you go to CODA, that's C-O-T-A dot org, uh, the first page that will pop up, you'll see a couple of sliders, and one of them is called Get Started. And if you'd rather do it online, you can get into our system by doing that. And that will send you back an email letting you know that we received the information, but also share the information that you shared with us so that you know what, what information we have. That's awesome. Yeah, it's very easy. Then, so. <laughs> um, so it, it is. We, we try to make this as helpful as possible. Yeah, so how do you know if you're eligible to be a CODA patient? Well, all patients are eligible that are waiting for a transplant or have had a transplant up through the age of 21. Okay. And for any patient that has a single gene disease, and CF is one of those examples, a couple of others are polycystic kidney disease, um, sickle cell anemia, all those diagnoses qualify, and there are no age restrictions for those patients. So you'll see we have patients that are infants, all the way up to our, our oldest patient was a, a CF gentleman who had his double lung transplant in Boston at age 62. Wow. So that's really awesome to hear that people with cystic fibrosis are getting transplants and they're 60 years old. Like, it's, it's great to hear that. That's um, amazing. So a lot of people haven't heard of CODA. I know that when I was going, was I, when I was getting listed, and I needed help with financial um, expenses for transplant. I didn't. I didn't know about any um, platforms other than the ones that have been around um, on, you know, on social media a lot. Um, but why is Coda different than those? Well, I think there are a number of ways that we make a difference. Um, probably the most important one is that we're a nonprofit organization. So mm -hmm. much like a hospital. Uh, a church, a school, we're a 501c3, which simply means that gifts that come to us that benefit our patients are not considered taxable income. Whereas if someone were to use GoFundMe as an example, that's actually a for-profit entity. And so when you get money back from GoFundMe, that actually counts as taxable income. And if patients are covered by Medicare or Medicaid or CCS in California, and there are similar programs in other states, that could disqualify the patient or could put you into the program where you have to start paying premiums. And so an organization that's a not-for-profit really does help tremendously there. I remember, Tiff, when I first talked to your dad, when he contacted us for your transplants, I remember having that conversation with him. And I remember specifically talking about the fact that we've been doing this for a long time, and now it's more than 33 years. So we have that breadth of experience where we can share, here are good ideas, here's what's worked in other communities, and volunteers aren't having to come up with the ideas, they just implement what other people have done successfully elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember um, when 
we started talking to you guys, and I love that you guys are so personable with your patients. You guys, you personally called me and talked to me for a little while just to get to know me, and I love that you guys have this relationship with the patients, and I think that's so important to know who you're helping and, you know, and the patient to know that you guys have our back. You are there for us. So I think that's great. And what do you guys do that um, when, so when a code patient is um, signed up and everything, how do you guys train the families or and friends and the, the um, volunteers to do these fundraisers? Well, what we do is a multi-pronged approach. So for instance, um, with our adult CF patients, we'll have a conversation with the patient like I did with you. Mm -hmm. We also have a conversation with uh, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a parent, because they're going to be the primary caregiver and likely will be the person that submits those receipts for reimbursement. And so we have different people that, that go through that. But importantly for you is we want to make sure you're comfortable with the process before we start talking to all those other people in your life. Mm -hmm. Then with the volunteer team, we send a, an email that just thanks them for their, their volunteering, gets them connected with other uh, community campaigns that we're working with, whether that be uh, looking at their Facebook page, if they use Instagram, and then also, and very importantly, the donation page that we set up for each of our, our volunteer teams. And then we walk through the training um, not only can they get on our website and download information, but we'll email people. Um, you'd be surprised knowing that many of your listeners are, are very active on social media. A lot of our patient families don't even have email addresses, and so everything goes on over the telephone and through the mail. Mm -hmm. And so we try to meet whatever their needs are and, and how they can accept information and, and try to work with them in a way that doesn't overwhelm them, but still gives them some opportunities to do things that they might not be able to do on their own. Yeah, that's great that you are very versatile with what people are using, um, especially like my generation is more online, do everything, social media and all that. But not a lot of people are like that, especially if there's parents that are used to not not used to the technology aspect. So that's great that you guys are able to help every certain type of person with the fundraising. Well, and, and we know that from a, a donor standpoint, um, people based on typically their generation, mm -hmm. how they are able to give makes a difference. And honestly, our, our greatest contributors are grandparents mm -hmm. who are part of the your family and want to help you out. And so they tend to be people that often send checks through the mail, whereas, as you said, your generation – Online giving is, is pretty typical and doesn't scare them at all. And so we try to, again, cover the waterfront to make sure that anyone that wants to help has an opportunity to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, it's great. So you said something before that when you talk to patients, you want to make sure that they are okay with doing fundraising and everything. Because it is very emotional and you have to actually like, talk about what you're going through. And a lot of people don't understand, like, they, well, they don't want to um, really talk about and kind of ask for money, I guess. And you have to be able to be emotionally okay with that. And I wonder how you um, talk and, like, help people understand that. You're absolutely right, Tiff. 
being able to and being willing to yeah. put yourself out there to tell that story is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we've learned over the years is that how we communicate to different people varies based on a number of factors. But how I talk to a father, for instance, would be very different than how I talk to a mom. Mm -hmm. Um, how I talk to an adult patient is obviously very different than I talk to a, a teenager. Right. Um, but I think there are ways that we can share information that can help them get over that hurdle mm -hmm. that says, I don't know if I want to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And frankly, the, the answer I tell a lot of the dads that I talk to is that you can't possibly cover these expenses yeah. yourself. You're not failing in any way. You really do need help. And quite honestly, people around you want to help. And mm -hmm. by turning them away, you're kind of telling them, I don't need you. And so I always encourage people, if someone wants to bring you something for dinner, take advantage of their kind, generous offer. Mm -hmm. If they want to be a volunteer, if they just want to be that shoulder for you to cry on in that moment when you just have a bad day, mm -hmm. let them do that because you're helping them just as much as they're helping you. And I think that's sometimes difficult for people to hear. I think we each would say, if it were my neighbor, I'd do it for them. But sometimes it's harder for us to turn the tables and allow others to do the same thing for us. Yeah, I agree. It is hard to kind of talk about it. I know that when I, like, I, for me, I talk about it all the time, as we know. But before, when I was younger, I did not talk about these kind of things. I was not very open about my cystic fibrosis. Um, if someone asked about what was what I was doing like a, a inhaler or treatment yes I would go into it of course but I think I had to grow into that and kind of understand that if I wanted to help others like me I was gonna have to put my story out there and it helps with organ donation as well having a transplant having my story out there has helped other people and then I tell them about CODA and it has helped them tremendously because there's no way you can really afford transplant um, expenses. It's, um, it's very hard. And from just like when I went to the, um, the pharmacy one day and my insurance wasn't even covering anything and it came up to $5,000 for one medicine, I wow. was like, how am I supposed to pay for that? But then I have CODA if that was a thing. Fortunately, it was just a button that we had to push <laughs> to change it. But it's just like in that moment, your heart sinks. And for those that don't have that um, that coverage, CODA is just amazing to have because you have money in there for these life-saving medications. Also, yeah, go for it. Sorry. I was going to say our, our average lung patient mm -hmm. um, medications are over $1,000 every month. Yeah. And so that's one of those things as you've just described, Tiff, mm -hmm. that that's not something that we can all cash flow. And so having the ability to, to draw on those funds whenever they're needed is a, a wonderful benefit for patients. Yeah. And other than medication, what does CODA cover? Well, anything that you would consider transplant-related, we probably have paid for. So mm -hmm. uh, co-payments and deductibles, um, when you go to transplant, you probably are going to relocate to that city wherever the, the transplant takes place. Mm -hmm. As an example, one of the hard, largest hospitals we work with is Duke in mm -hmm. Durham, North Carolina. And with their um, rehab program, they require patients to move there ahead of time to start rehab before the transplant, and then they have to stay for several months afterwards. So housing 
away from your home, and most of our patients, they have to maintain their current home plus mm -hmm. this additional place to live. That could be a couple of thousand dollars every month of additional cost. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, at the same time, one parent or spouse is probably having to leave work, and so while your costs are increasing, your income's going down. Mm -hmm. And so we can help with those household expenses, not only for the new place near the transplant center, but also those costs that you have in your existing, whether it's a home or something that you rent. But those are the kind of costs that we can cover. Uh, we can pay for transportation. Uh, we can pay for food. All the things that you would say, this is what I had to pay when I went to transplant, those are all costs that we can help with. Yeah, and that's that's a big help. <laughs> Seriously. Because if you think about it, I don't think people understand that when you go to transplant, like you said, you have to move to where the hospital is. And like you said, for Duke, you have to go a few weeks before or a month or whatever to do um, therapy, which my friend actually is just doing. Um, and uh, it's, it's insane because, you, like you said, you have to maintain your other home as well. And Absolutely. that's a lot to put on a family. And um, I know the patient, being myself, it's hard to like see your family go through all that stuff and all that financial burden. So just having CODA help that is just, mm. it puts a weight off your shoulders and especially the families. So that's really important. Um, so what kind of fundraising events have you seen in the past? You know, I could go through a whole list of fundraising activities, yeah. but I think the ones that are most popular and successful are ones I'd, I'd like to highlight the first one is uh, one that you did very mm -hmm. well with your fundraising campaign and one that we have a team that's in Miami right now mm -hmm. uh, that they did very well, and that's to use social media to share the information. I think sometimes people assume that social media will do something from a dollar standpoint. Mm -hmm. What it does is it shares detail and communication, but it doesn't necessarily raise money. Right. So what we always recommend is sharing the donation page that we set up for each of our families and that's where people can be directed back to making a gift. Um, this young man that I just mentioned from Miami is at UNC Chapel Hill right now waiting. Mm -hmm. um, but his volunteer team has shared that with as many people as they can. And that group of volunteers has, has raised a, a great deal of money from more than 1,200 donors in the past seven weeks. But it was almost all done on social media. And so they were very successful getting the information out. Mm -hmm. The other way that it works really well that we've seen happen um, if you're involved in a, a community organization like a Rotary or a Kiwanis or a school, um, I know colleges are great. Um, sororities and fraternities do a wonderful job raising money, and they're required to keep their 501c3 status to give money away. Yeah. And so that's one of the ways that we can certainly help by partnering with sororities and fraternities to do that. And honestly, the, the next largest is churches. Um, okay. A lot of our families have their fundraising based in their faith community. Mm -hmm. And whether the church does a, an offering or a class takes up a, a project or they do a, a bake sale, mm -hmm. church members know how to raise money. They do that yeah. very well. And uh, there are lots of ideas like that that we can share with families to show them this is how it works. And here's some success stories that we can point to directly. Yeah, that's great that you guys have all these examples so that you can train the families how to do so and get the maximum donations and help the family. That's that's amazing. So for mine, we usually do a concert every year. 
which is mm-hmm. awesome. So, well, first, when I got, I got um, to become a CODA patient when I got listed, which was back in 2014, and we did a wine fundraiser, which was very awesome. We had a silent auction. My dad's band played. Um, oh. The uh, the winery actually um, donated their venue, which was amazing. And um, we just had a great time. We had someone donated a photo booth. It was just a good time. And what we did was we did share it on social media. And social media was very um, awesome to do because then people were able to um, see when the event was and they had it virtually so that they could send it to other people, their friends and family. So I got... We, I think we had like 500 people that day just coming in and out. It was great. And we had like, a, I think we started with like, it was like 25 bucks and you got two glasses of wine and you got into, you got to come in and then we did the silent auction and stuff. So it was great. And then we did like little fundraisers here and there, like at Panera Bread, I think we had one because if you go over there, they will um, have a... If you, I think you just go on online and um, fill out a form. Um, and then we just started, two years ago, we started doing the Just Breathe fundraiser for Coda for Tiffany R. And it's been so awesome. We had the Marshall Tucker Band play the first year, which is cool. Because um, I used to play their music when I was younger on the guitar. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, okay. So it was kind of cool to have them there and um, listen and to their music and stuff. So that was cool. And then last year, we had Kelly Pickler, which was one of my favorites from uh, American Idol back in the That's day. Awesome. <laughs> and she was great. So we were, you know, we were able to raise a whole bunch of money. And I think, like, having having a fun event and just being able to celebrate life and kind of tell my story to a whole bunch of people and having the social media to kind of um, tell people like what you're going for and what it's going to benefit. And, um, you know, just doing that is just really key in my eyes is just being able to tell a story and having people be able to, um, like want to help. Well, I, I always say that the first three letters in fundraising mm-hmm. is fun yeah. and you want to have fun because if you want people to show up to an event, you need to give them a good reason to, and, and having the Marshall Tucker band, having mm-hmm. Kelly Pickler, yeah. um, Sammy Hagar did a concert for one of our patients years oh, ago. So awesome. we have those kind of things, but it has to be fun to get people to come. So what you just described is perfect. Make people want to have a good reason to come out, maybe spend some money, make a gift, and yeah. participate in a big fundraiser like you had. Exactly. And I think silent auctions are a really good idea, too. They are. They raise a lot of money, and you can get amazing auction items just by asking. Like I, My kind of thing is, like, the worst thing they can say is no. That's you right. Know? And if they know that you're doing it for a great cause, CODA, for instance, (laughs) they know that it's going to go towards something very important and it's going to make a difference in someone's life. And, you know, that's a really good point. One of the things that I hear all the time um, from our volunteers that go out, 
that when they go into a, a business or a restaurant to ask for a, a gift for an auction or for a package, that they immediately get, I, I don't know if we can do that. And as soon as they say, we're working with a nonprofit organization, mm -hmm. that immediately sets that business owner's mind at ease because yeah. they recognize not only will they get a, a deduction for that, yes. but they know that it's going to be used for something that it's intended for and it's not simply going to go in someone's personal use. That's where I really encourage your listeners to, to work with an organization, whether it be CODA or one of the other charities that does this, because you provide that accountability and responsibility that really does make it easier to do everything that you've just described. Yeah, and I agree with going and talking to um, the companies and people that want that may donate and give a gift. Um, they always ask, is it a nonprofit? Or there might be a form that you have to fill out and it says, do you have a tax ID? Are you yes. a nonprofit? And if you say yes, they're more inclined to do so. And if you're a CODA patient, you can check that box and say, you know, um, we are a 501c3 company or nonprofit. And um, it just makes them more want to give. That's for sure. It, it is a, a great benefit, and I think we all have solicited, whether we were working um, for Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts mm -hmm. or for our Little League, I think we all have experiences where we maybe didn't have the, the success that we wanted, but working with a nonprofit, we provide the training, all the materials for that, and then we send the receipt letters out, so mm -hmm. we really make it as simple as it can be. It's just a matter of figuring out who should we be talking with, and we can even help with, with some of those ideas. I don't know if you did this, Tiff, but mm -hmm. we have a, a partnership where a number of our families have worked with Walgreens. Mm -hmm. um, others have worked with Walmart, uh, Sam's Club. They each have programs where if you get adopted, and there's a, an application process, but they'll match what you raise on their property. Mm -hmm. And we've had cases where they've matched up to $2,000 for what was raised on, on their site during a specific period of time. So there are things like that that we can help with. And whether we complete the application or the, the volunteer does, mm -hmm. we can certainly make that a whole lot more successful. Wow. I did not know that, actually. I didn't know that you could do that with um, like Walmart and stuff. That's great. Yep. That's great They're to know. Very generous. Wow. Very generous. <laughs> yeah. Um, so another thing is that companies can match donations as well, right? Yes. And the way that works is whenever one of the supporters of your campaign makes a gift, they go online and complete the matching gift form. Um, because we are a 501c3 charity, our number goes, the tax ID number goes into that form. And then the, the donating, donating company will send us the gift. We always put the money back in the account for the patient that the original gift came from. But that's not something you can do unless you're working with a charity. So there's an, another great example of, of having a nonprofit behind you that, that helps even more. Yeah, I think I've had a couple of my supporters do that, and it's been really successful and amazing. Well, last year, we had more than $160,000 that we received from matching gifts that took maybe five minutes to apply for and drop in our, our 501c3 number. But it was very easy to, to double your dollars is how they say it. So that's a, a great tool. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people need to know about CODA. And I'm glad I have you on today because I've had a lot of people on my social media ask about, you know, how do you afford all this um, transplant expenses and like, I, you know, and the whole um, 
emotion kind of put gets into it because they say like I can't I don't want to ask for money but I tell them about CODA and then they're like okay like I kind of ease their mind a little bit and it yes. helps them um get into contact with you guys and understand that they can have help and it's okay to do that because you know it's your health and you're just trying to live you're trying to survive and if you need help you just go you can you can go to CODA and get that help for all this well and and I think there are more and more CF patients that are considering lung transplants. Mm -hmm. um, I know when I started 20 years ago, it was relatively rare, yeah. but now we're seeing many, many more of them. We're seeing CF patients that get both lungs and liver transplants. Yes. So there are a lot of opportunities for us to help, and we just want to make our information available. And I appreciate you having us on to talk about this because I, I do think this is one of those things that we all we have to do it. And at some point, we need to ask for help, and we're a great organization to, to jump in and help. For sure. And like you said, there's multiple organs that sometimes CF patients need. I've seen CF patients need kidneys, liver, and lungs. And with all the other diseases out there, you know, it's there's people that just need to get these just to survive. And all we want to do is help. So... I'm really Absolutely. glad that they, there's an organization like you all um, to help us get through all this stuff. So, Thank um, you. So is there anything else you want to talk about with CODA, share? Just if, if anyone's interested, um, our 800 number, again, is 800-366-2682. And our website is codacota.org. And please take a look around, get information. Um, people can follow you on Instagram. Mm -hmm. They can follow us on Instagram. There's a lot of detail that flows out on Facebook. And we just want to make it as easy as possible for people to get information, to make an informed decision before they move forward. But by all means, please give us a call. And we'd be happy to answer any questions you have and walk you through the process. And perhaps connect you with some of our patients like you, Tiff, that mm -hmm. have been through this and can tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of the entire transplant process. Yeah, definitely. I think being um, a mentor and helping people go through this is important, especially um, I had people talk to me about going through transplant and how um, difficult it is, and you know, but it's worth it in the end. So like you said, everybody can come to me and I will tell them about it. And you guys are on Instagram, which is at Coda underscore org. And definitely go follow them. They have a lot of information on their Instagram and Facebook. And um, definitely shows a lot of the patients and their success and um, how they're doing, which is great. And... I love following them, so you guys should definitely go do that. And, um, yeah, if you guys want any information from me, you guys can go on uh, DM me on um, at breathe underscore in underscore pod or my personal is at tiffrich22, and I will gladly help you. And, yeah, well, thank you, Rick, so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I... I hope you guys all learned a lot about CODA and you will contact them if you guys are in need of a transplant, going through a transplant, or have had a transplant. We can all help you. All right. That was a great interview, Tiffany. Thanks for uh, 
uh, for you doing that. And of course, thanks of course. To, to Rick for coming on the podcast. Uh, that's yeah. all for us this week on uh, Breathe In. But remember, for our listeners out there, we post every Thursday. You can find yep. us on iTunes, Spotify, mm-hmm. SoundCloud. I'm doing this a lot better than I did last week already. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening on uh, iTunes, make sure you uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars. Five, five stars, stars this week. We keep, we want to keep going up the uh, up the charts. Um, yep. And uh, I'm Gunnar Siasen. That's March Carfora. That's Tiffany Rich. Uh, we all have cystic Ooh. fibrosis. They have had transplants. Um, <laughs> and uh, we will. Uh, oh, our our email address is uh, yeah. breathe underscore in underscore pod at asiasen dot org. Um, our Instagram our is Instagram. at breathe underscore in underscore pod. And remember, if you are uh, listed or about to be listed, remember we have our transplant yeah. assistant program here at the Boomer Siasen Foundation. That's asiasen dot org. And of course, check mm-hmm. out code. Uh, for your transplant fundraising needs. Uh, Thanks, everyone. We will see you next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye.